Hello, hello. Welcome back to Lifelong. I am your host, Heidi Kumjan. Thank you so much for being here. As a reminder, I'm a certified holistic health and nutrition coach with a passion for non-toxic living. I help people find and address the root cause of their frustrating symptoms so that they can thrive. You can book a call to learn more about this by going to my website, holisticwithheidi.com, and clicking the button on the upper right saying book a call, or you can click the link in the show notes right here. But today we are going to be talking about the lymphatic system, and I could not be more thrilled to be bringing on Dr. Perry Nicholson of Stop Chasing Pain. He is an international speaker and educator on movement and chronic pain, and he's the founder of Stop Chasing Pain, Pain Laser Center and Functional Health Solutions. He's the author of an upcoming book, and he also has developed many different courses. Not only that, he is such a fun person and the way he educates and shares all this information is so compelling and engaging and easy to understand. He makes everything so fun, especially when you're talking about, you know, the physics of fluids in the body, which would sound like such a boring subject, especially to someone like myself who did not really like scientific classes in high school and and those kinds of things. But he is able to explain these concepts with such clarity. And I know you're going to love this episode. So please help me in welcoming Dr. Perry Nicholson. Hey, hey, Dr. Perry. Hey, hey. <laughs> Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah, I know. So excited because like I was just telling you before, you have created <laughs> such a niche online and it's so refreshing to come across um, people in the holistic health space that are bringing new information to to the spotlight and the way that you've been just presenting that information through your videos really captivated my attention and just could not be more thrilled to have you here today. Thank you very much. That's a truly kind thing to say. I'm glad it comes across that way. One of the things that I try to tell people is to just bring the uniqueness of you to what you're teaching to other people, right? Because it's the meaning behind the information that people are looking for, not just the information. Because you can find that from a Google search very easily. But what's what's different about the information is you. Like you're bringing your energy, your history, your story, your interpretation of that information. And it's not, it's not going to be like anybody else's either because you are unique. We've heard that before in the universe. And one of the things that I love to do is learn. And I learn from anyone and everyone, people that I agree with, but a lot of people that I don't agree with, because that's where you find a lot of like new things you would never have looked at before. That's how you learn, yeah. <clears throat> but I like to try to connect things. I like to see two or three different things and say, I wonder how these things could fit together. Stuff that you would never, ever think of linking together. 
And you'll usually find that there is a linkage somewhere. You just never bothered to look at it. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I certainly do that with the systems of the human body. And we need to do that because they all work together, even though we tend to forget that. <laughs> yes, I know. It's also symbiotic. Well, before we jump into the details of the interconnectedness of the human body, let's backtrack slightly. And I would love for you to share your story and a bit about your uniqueness. Like we were just saying, how did you get into this line of work? What is your unique story that brought you to where you are today? Great question. Well, we were talking a little bit before we started to record and you shared about how you came on your current journey to your story. And it's actually very similar to mine. And for most people that I found on the healthcare journey, they've had some type of suffering in their life. They've hit a form of a rock bottom where they were in the quicksand and they had to rescue themselves because nobody else was gonna. And you're forced to reevaluate the way you think and your habits and your behaviors and the way you look at things. And most people change through suffering, not through comfort. <laughs> Because if you're comfortable, why in the world would you change? It's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's that similar thing for me where, listen, I got into healthcare, into uh, the chiropractic, but I honestly hesitate to tell people that that's what I do because when you hear words are very powerful and they have a meaning to them, but not necessarily the meaning, it's the meaning that you're going to give it. And they hear a chiropractor, they automatically think, I know exactly what you do. And I'm like, 100%, you're going to be wrong <laughs> if you try to put me in some kind of box. Yeah. That's just what I use to put my diploma on the wall so I can learn from anybody else around the world with their disciplines. Um, but yeah, I was going along because I became one. It helped me feel better. But I suffered an illness that nobody could figure out, which seems to happen to humans a lot lately. <laughs> And then it just gets thrown under the guise of a blanket term, autoimmune disease or chronic disease. And uh, nothing that I was doing on my own from my current thought process was working, which I found quite interesting. And then nobody else was able to help me either. And I realized, well, that just means I'm not looking at it the right way. <laughs> so I had to scrap everything, go back to basics and fundamentals, which we'll talk about a lot today because that's really important. And then I ended up finding the answers that helped me. And now my mission in life is to share my story and my journey of what worked for me and the things that I saw. And when I started to share that and people began to do it, lo and behold, they started to notice some differences too. <laughs> and that's where the brand name uh, Stop Chasing Pain came from. Because uh, I was actually guilty for many, many years of just treating where stuff hurt as well, which you should, because it hurts and it's a good place to start. But we find ourselves in the world today with pain always coming back and it doesn't stay away. And we keep doing the same things over and over and it's whatever we're doing, it's not working. And then I said, well, how about we start where it hurts and then let's do a novel idea. Look everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I saw you you shared that kind of quote in an Instagram caption recently. And I really love that. Start where it hurts and look everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, because sometimes if you start where it hurts, that's enough. 
Yeah. You don't have you don't have to overcomplicate anything. I say sometimes a zebra is a zebra, but sometimes <laughs> a zebra is an elephant. It's nowhere near what you think it is. So uh, if it gets better, that's great. But if it keeps coming back, you have to think bigger. You have to think more dynamic. But we're very myopic, at least in the the east. Uh, excuse me, Western medicine perspective. We just look at where somebody points, and then that's it. Yeah, it's not a symbiotic view yeah no it, it's really not i mean it, that's actually how medicine is where they break things down is called a reductionist form of thinking to help you understand something which makes sense you know you want to try to break the parts that are put together into individual parts but you forget that when you put all the parts together all the parts change yeah yeah when they interact with each other not they're not the same parts <laughs> Right. And first of all, your body doesn't even know what a part is. Right. Yeah, I know. It all really is so interconnected. So what, going back, I guess, to kind of those basic concepts, how in your eyes would you, what would your approach be? Like the, the actual tactical approach of, okay, we're looking at the pain, but we need to take care of the root of the problem. We need to take care of the whole entire body because everything is connected. What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Do you have about 10 hours? Yes. Um, <laughs> but let me give you a fundamental concept. Pe you know, we like to break things down into naming tissues and naming structures. And they all have these different names that man, we isolate them, but we forget that they all interact with each other, like we said before. And whenever I, for instance, if I push into your shoulder in the front near your pec. And I always ask people, you know, what system of the body am I affecting when I do that? And then the answer is yes, the whole <laughs> thing. And then you have to realize that not just that spot that you're pushing on, but the whole body has to react to what you just did. And it's actually going to react to what you did there previously. <laughs> Right, Because the nervous system and all the systems have a memory to them. So they'll usually respond to uh, what happened to you previously, which is your life story. So my first answer is that you need to deal with the individual human being standing in front of you and their life story, not just the tissues that are that they're pointing at or the names or the diagnosis they've been told that they have. Because each person will get to a diagnosis differently, even if it's the same diagnosis. Does that make sense? So yeah. two people can say, I've got Alzheimer's disease, but it doesn't mean you got it the same way. Right, right. So you, you can't treat them the same way because all the tissues have a different story that they're telling mm -hmm. each other. And one of the key phrases that I tell everybody is this, is that no system in the body ever works alone. It never gets injured alone. It never heals alone. There's no such thing as an isolated injury. There's no such thing as isolated healing. It's all or nothing. They're always trying to help each other. But when you go see people in medicine, we have a lot of specialists that are really great at one system. But they don't know anything about the other ones. And if they do, they won't talk about them. They send you to that system specialist. And then the system specialists don't communicate with each other. And they don't talk with each other. And then meanwhile, in the body, they're always doing that. Right? So what I usually do is I 
spend a lot of time just talking with a person and I have them share their story. And sometimes when they come on in, you know, we look at what's called a history form an intake form. You know, that, that's kind of like your life where you check off all these boxes of things that you've had in the past and all of it matters. Right. So I'll look at the name first and I'll look at the age and then of uh, that person. And then I'll sit down and I'll talk to him and then I'll say, just tell me your story. And they go, where do, where do I start? I'm like, where do you want to start? Like you tell me and that they open up and, and they tell you things that they might not have normally told you because they're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable and they're communicating with a human being, not with some doctor in a coat who is there to try to diagnose what's wrong with you. You understand? Because there's always this fear component, uh, lack of control and uncertainty component when you're seeking help because you're sort of lost, right? Then I'll go and I'll take a look at everything in the history and what they've checked off, right? Because you got to be careful in healthcare is that you tend to find what you expect to find. You get what you look for, which means yeah. I don't want to skew that by thinking, oh, I see this, 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 then she's probably, he or she's probably going to have this, this, this. Well, maybe not. Right. And then I'll get in there and then I'll, I'll touch the tissues that the human being is carrying around. And then I watch uh, how somebody responds to uh, my touch or my examination. I'll tell you this much. The one thing that's the most significant lost art, because there's an art and a science in medicine. We forget the art part. Yeah. Uh, that is one human connection, communication and talking, because if you take a great history, 90% of your diagnosis or what you should come from your history and your chat and the other comes from the exam afterwards. It's a manual, hands-on therapeutic assessment. You got to get your hands in the game, man. You got to touch the tissues because I'll tell you this and I'll stand by it until I'm dead. There's stuff that you're going to pick up by your hand that you'll never, ever pick up on a test that you get from a lab or an x-ray because so many of those things come back, quote unquote, normal. What does first it all, look what, like in the yeah. tissue? Like, yeah, first from of all, what the hell does normal mean, right? Yeah, and, and based off of a population of mostly unhealthy people, standards are. Yeah, so if you're not outside some spectrum, then you're good to go. I'm like, well, what if you're right on the edge of the cliff of falling off and you want to try to catch it beforehand, right? And here's the thing that blows people's minds is that, that we know for a fact that even though you can find something that shows up on an x-ray or an MRI or something that you can visibly see, that doesn't mean that that's the cause of your pain or your problem yeah. at all. Yeah, It may or may not be. There is zero correlation to, between what you find on an assessment through a test and the amount of pain or any pain that somebody feels. Zero. Yes. Sometimes it's like the lot from my perspective, uh, you know, way more than me, but it, it seems that for instance, like a, a tumor or something, it's almost like the body's last resort mm -hmm. after a buildup of, you know, emotional, like a whole life history of things. And then it's maybe expressing in one spot 
but there could be multiple other causes or parts of the body involved. Yeah. And you only find that through a manual assessment. So I'll usually start when somebody comes on in where their pain is, because it shows that one, it shows empathy Two, it shows that I'm listening to what you're saying and just touching an area can make somebody feel better. Uh, and then I'm going to branch out from there because listen, when somebody comes on in, they already know where it freaking hurts because they point to it. That's not rock. I call that's not rocket surgery to figure that out. Uh, what I look for are areas of the body that have a lot of pain or discomfort that you had no idea physically hurt you until I stick my fingers there. And then you say, ouch, those are more important in my world because all of them count. All of them count. Um, and here's a novel idea. How about you treat those areas too? <laughs> yeah. Right. Great idea. <laughs> I think it works perfectly. And what you'll find is that, that there's never just one spot where somebody has an issue. Right. But it can be overwhelming on where to start. Right. I read a quote once that there's nothing more terrifying than the idea of unlimited possibilities. Well, uh -huh. guess what? When it comes to the human body, that's it, because that's how it adapts. That's how it compensates. That's what makes it resilient. And if you get overloaded and you don't want to think about all the possibilities, I'm going to tell you, you're in the wrong profession. Then if you're in the healthcare field, you better step up because the client deserves it. Right. It's, it's not so much, I think, the what I do with the tools and the tactics and the toys. It's the it's a way of thinking that I try to teach people, because if you're chasing down the wrong rabbit hole, I don't care what you do. It's not going to work. So you really have to you know think about it and determine which way that you want to go. And you'll find that through the manual assessment. I have a really great quote. I heard originally this version said by Neil deGrasse Tyson, if anybody knows him, the yeah. astrophysicist, you know, um, and he said, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. And sure. I said, that's actually brilliant. And I said, you could extrapolate that to the human body as well, because that's its own amazing universe. It's a miracle that we have zero clue how it works. Um, and, and particularly the brain, right? So I always say the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you, which means that I don't care if you understand why it's doing what it's doing. It's waiting for you to get out of your own head and stop thinking so much, feel things first. So we have a saying in our, we, our world, feel first, think second, right? You need to get in touch back with your own gut feeling, your own intuition and, and trust that. Right. Yeah, I resonate and with that. It's not going to be 100 percent right, but nothing ever is. But that's a pretty good way to go. But we've stopped doing that. We have. Yeah. Our, there are a lot of distractions in our, our modern world that have taken us away it's from so our intuition. Is, 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 people don't really have good body awareness because we're just numbed by sensory exactly. input. And people don't want to feel they, the second they feel 
I'm generalizing, but yeah. For instance, you know, and I try to observe this in myself as well for I'll be vulnerable for for a second. So feeling sadness is very uncomfortable to me. And I think it's uncomfortable to most people. But there have been times in my life where I feel sadness and I want to like numb and distract and not truly feel that sadness or Mm -hmm. kind of the fake it till you'll make it thing. Like just be Mm -hmm. super toxically positive and and not feel it but this again being vulnerable here it's something i'm working on um presently and i share it because i think a lot of people in our world do struggle with this with with all different kinds of feelings as we it's so easy to go on the phone and distract yourself and scroll or you know a lot of people they they like to have drinks or they like to obsessively swipe on dating apps or you know there's all these different new ways to some not new uh ways to numb and distract but if we don't let ourselves feel for again example feel that true sadness Mm -hmm. that just sits in your body forever and then it and would love to hear your opinion on this that can manifest later on because of the fascia and, and and trauma and things like emotions storing in that if we don't let ourselves feel and heal then it, it just it manifests as pain later on or problems yeah. later on inflammation later on illness later on it'll come out somewhere whether you want it to or not you know that's just a form of energy and energy always transfers somewhere yeah. So if you if you repress things and shut them down, it's like it's like taking a a balloon that's or a ball that's full of air, and the, the deeper you press it underwater, the harder mm-hmm. it is to control. It's going to pop out, right? And many people don't have body awareness until something hurts. And I want you to think about that for a minute because pain is actually uh, a request or a signal for change something and the people yeah. so change what and i'm like yes that's what it means I, I don't care if it's the way that you think or the relationship that you're in the biggest way to change how you feel is to change the environment that you live in um, because you cannot get well in the same environment you became ill with then so you better take a you know a 360 view of that one uh, mm-hmm. from outside and from inside but it wants you to change some type of habit or some type of behavior because that's what it's telling you like, I don't like something. So and it's it, cool that our body can communicate like that. Well, it's like, you want hey. that because if you didn't have pain, you would die way faster because how do you know what your zone is, how far you mm-hmm. can go? You know, if you cut yourself or broke a bone and you didn't know it, well, you're dead. Like, you know, you're going to get an infection like that. And that's how you learn that you say, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again, or I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently because my body was sending me a uh, signal to to change Mm -hmm. something. But most people also look at pain as some form of punishment because that's how we use it. (laughs) And you need to always reef. So I, I tell people, the first thing you should change is how you view pain. So pain is always a protective mechanism and pain is always an output signal. It's never an input signal. It's an output. And uh, so 
pain like that way is is the way that your body is trying to get you to say, okay, I, I'm I'm doing something right now that really sucks. I know it hurts, but I'm trying to protect you from something that could be far worse. Because trust me, it can. But pain is also the last thing you feel, not the first thing. Yeah. But what do I mean by that? Well, acute pain is where I punch you in the face, and A equals B. There you go. But pain that just shows up one day that wasn't there yesterday, that builds up and manifests over days, weeks, months, years, or decades, because your brain and your nervous system, all the systems have been trying to compensate and adapt and become resilient so you don't have pain. It's only when they can't do it on their own anymore, or you're doing something to override what they're trying to do which means takes take a lot of medications to dull your symptoms of the, hey, I'm trying to tell you something's up is what those are. And then the only way it's going to be able to get you to stop and change something is like, oh, I have a novel idea. I'm going to crush Perry today. That's what I'm going to do. And then it's also changed the way you think about trying to take care of or heal your pains, like start where it hurts. And then look everywhere else. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? It does. So what role for the for the audience and for those unfamiliar with the lymphatic system, what role does the lymphatic system play in pain and all of this? Well, if you know me, I love lymph. You do. (laughs) Yeah. The lymph mojo and all that. I love the again, word choice. Yeah. And so the reason I use the word, people say, what's up with the word mojo? That's not very serious. I'm like, first of all, that's one of the reasons why I use it. Because who the hell says that medicine's got to be all doom and gloom and serious? Maybe if I make you crack a smile a little bit and do something (laughs) different, right? Because there's zero correlation between appearing to be serious and actually being good at what you do. Right. So mojo means a couple of things to me. One, I love Austin Powers movies. So there you go. Two, mojo means magic. And I mean the magic of the human body. I mean the magic of healing, the magic of life, of how it's doing everything in the moment to try to take care of you. I'm, it's a miracle, basically. So it's, it's that, that magic, if you will. And it also means voodoo, which means sometimes I got no freaking idea why stuff works or doesn't work on your body. And we're never going to know. We'll try to think that we know, but usually what we think we know turns out to be completely wrong the next day. Or we have a lot of oopsie daisies where we're not even close to figuring it out. So that's why I use the word mojo. But lymph I love because that work saved my life. It brought me out of my abyss for me. Uh, It's the most important and most neglected system of the body, I think, that nobody is looking at in relationship to not only chronic pain, but overall health and wellness and performance at the same time. So usually I talk about this for 16 hours, so I know I got some time here to cut it, but I'm going to tell you what the system is part of, and then I'm going to give you an analogy to help explain it so you you get it. So the Uh, lymphatic system is part of two primary systems in your body, your immune system. It's the big guns in the immune system, which means this job is to try to find things that are in your body that get in there that you don't want to trap it, kill it and get rid of it so you can live longer. (laughs) 
such like viruses, parasites, bacteria, uh, fungus, metabolic waste, cellular waste, you name it, that system is going to try to get it out, right? So it's also part of your vascular system, your circulatory system, because it works directly in conjunction with the veins of the body. So lymphatics dump into the veins of the body. So it's a, it's a circular loop. What that means is, is that if you have a lymphatic system issue, you will have a circulation issue. If you have a circulation issue, you will have a lymph issue. Now, why does a circulation system matter? Well, that's the only way you get nutrients and oxygen and hormones and stuff to tissues. That's it. Like it gets there through blood. Right. And then when cells use what gets to them from the blood, well, they create energy and they make waste. And the waste has to get out. And I'll give you one guess what system gets rid of the waste, the lymph and the veins. Right. Holy cow, that's kind of important. So fluids are the supply chain of life, recovery and healing. Right. So you're mostly fluid. You've probably heard somewhere that you're a lot of water, right? Yes. <laughs> that's And most people, unfortunately, are dehydrated. So that's one of the first things that I tell people. If you are dehydrated, no therapy is going to work for you for long. You cannot skip hydration. That's a non-negotiable, right? Uh, and so many people are, and nobody ever asks them about it. So that's one of the first questions yeah. that I ask people is, what do you drink during the day? And I'll let them tell me. And then sometimes water will come up and then I'll ask how much. And then that's when the scary part comes on it because they don't have it. And then I say, what type of water? Because that matters too. Because mm. right? that is going to help the environment inside of your body. So I always give an analogy. My whole program is called Body Aquarium Lymphatic Mojo. So think about a fish aquarium, a fish tank. This is the best way for people to say, oh, I get it. That makes total sense. Why in the world haven't I been doing this before? So if you have a fish tank, you've got living fish in there and all sorts of different creatures, right? Well, those are your cells. And in your body, you got, I don't know, 50 trillion of them. So you got a lot of fish. And it li they live in water. It's called interstitial fluid. That's the fluid that's between the cells. And that's actually called pre-limp. That's the fluid that is before the limp. And uh, inside the tank, you got all the coral, you got all those things. Those are like the structures of the body, right? And if you look into a tank that's well taken care of, it's, it's clear. You see a little filter up in the corner where there's bubbles and then the water's moving, right? This way. But what keeps it that way is what you don't see, which is stuck under the fish tank in the cabinet. And you open it up and there's all these filters and pipes and things going to each other. That's the filtration system, right? Because the way it works is that's your lymphatic system. The way it works for fish is this. You need to feed your fish, right? So you give your fish food and nutrients. Well, you do the same thing. I mean, you stick it down your throat. So then it gets to the fish, it gets to your cells, and then the fish eat it, your cells eat it, and then what do the fish do after they eat? They poop. Well, your cells do too. 
is called metabolic process where you make energy called the ATP, Krebs cycle, mitochondria, blah, 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 all that stuff. Basically, it's cell poop. Even your brain makes a lot of it. Every time you use your brain, your neurons make cell poop. And uh, that poop lives in the water. So the filter system is there to recirculate that out and make sure there's a lot of oxygen in the tank. And what happens if that filter system doesn't work well or stops working? The yeah. fish tank begins to change, right? But it doesn't change immediately. That's why people don't catch it. It takes a few days or a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden you're like, man, that fish tank water doesn't look so good. It's turning green or it, it, it starts to get stuff growing on the glass. It's called bio. Oh, and like visualizing that in the body too. is yeah. that's a, Well, that's what happens powerful. to the body. We get, yeah. we get gook, we get biofilm. And that's one of the things that makes people sick. And then you get decreased oxygen in the tank. And then bacteria, viruses, Parasites and cancer cells love that kind of environment. Low oxygen and crappy environment is playground time, right? And whenever you have decreased oxygen in the tank, have you ever seen the fish struggle to breathe? They're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what your cells do. They can't get the oxygen and they slowly begin to perish. They slowly begin to die. And then they rely on different forms of energy. Um, to, to form so you don't die. And that creates more waste called anaerobic. Now, the fish will eventually die and they'll start to get disease. So what happens in order to make that tank thrive is that you need to take the water out. You need to put new water in. You need to clean it out, put new fish in, but you have to replace the filter system underneath or at least work it because if you don't, what comes back? The same oh. The same thing comes back. Well, I said, that. oh, my God, that's amazing. So here I am. I'm doing all this stuff to try to help my fish with supplements and breathing and all these things, trying to stick it into the system. And I'm like, well, maybe my fish tank is just crap. So I had to do the waste management side first, get that stuff out by working the lymphatic system. Right? And then when you do that, you ch here's the thing I want you to understand. You change the environment that your cells and your fish are living in. And you cannot get well in the same environment you became ill with then. Do you remember? <laughs> Talked about that before? Yeah. So in my world, the lymphatic system is always involved in every disease process. It just depends on how much of a role it takes and for you to assess if you have a lymphatic system problem. Now, here's my running joke, but it's not a joke. People say, how do you know you have a lymph problem? I'm like, well, because you're alive on this earth. That's how I know it. Because you're getting hit all the time from toxins and parasites and everything's coming at you. Plus, when the fish tank goes, you get disease, you get inflammation, you get all these things. So if you walk into my door asking me that nothing that I'm doing is working, I already know you got a limp problem, man. And then every single system that you have, all these other systems, live in the tank. You understand it's pretty, that? Yeah, that's pretty mind-blowing information. Tank first, everything else second. Yeah. What are some ways to take care of the lymphatic? 
I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> there are many, and it's obviously, yeah. um, I'm sure some of the, I'm sure you've probably seen some things online or from, maybe there are some things that are a little more hoaxy or don't work or are done incorrectly, but in your expert opinion, what mm. are some of the best ways? And I know you have a lot of exercises and things like that. So we can talk yeah. about that. We can talk I'm about gonna make this super herbs. Easy. We can anything. Super easy. So here's the thing. One of my favorite quotes is this. You can't change something until you become aware of it. Or you can't control something until you become aware of it. So the first step towards helping your lymphatic system is the awareness that you got one and you need to be working it on purpose, on purpose. What does that mean? Well, everything that you do influences the lymphatic system all the time. You're just doing it by accident and no rhyme or reason, right? So it's important to go back to it. What are the two primary things that moves or influences the lymphatic system? One is movement, like human movement. And then people say, what type of movement is best for the lymphatic system? Here's my answer. I've said it before. Yes, is the answer. Move yourself. I have what I say, move more of yourself, more often, more ways, more environments. One word encapsulates that. Different. Different. More is good, but you need variety, variation, and variability. You need to change things up. Now, why is that important to know? I need you to think about fluids in life, right? So whenever you move the same way all of the time, you develop lines of tension or tightness or how the muscles move or fascia moves. And then you have these grooved patterns that fluids can easily flow in one way, but not so much another way. Kind of like water coming down a mountain. It's going to move easier inside the stream than go outside the stream, right? So if you move the same way all of the time, you're actually establishing a route for fluid in mm. just one way. So you need Gotta to move it, it around. It's like taking that fish tank and it's just like sloshing it around all over the place. So the fluid goes, man, I don't know which way Perry's going. Perfect. Right. So that's why when you just change your movements up a little bit, you can feel so much better. Right. So movement. But what do humans do a lot of today? <laughs> Sitting Not on that. their butt. <laughs> Yeah, we sit all the time and then we close down all the areas that lymph is located because I'll go over that in a moment, depending on time. So that's number one. That's why walking is so great. Like off, walk front, walk straight, walk backwards, walk sideways, walk in circles. Even my, mo my mom always said, move your arms when you're walking to like get your lymph moving even more. Well, your like, mom shake your arms. <laughs> He's right. But now I want you to take a look at the average population today. If they do walk, what are they walking with? Phone. Yeah. And they're like, I yeah. can't swing my arms because I can't see my phone. Yeah, I know. And the head is crank. Yeah. So you're flexed forward and you look like a human cashew nut. You're like rounded forward. Oh, yeah. And everything is tight in the front where most of the lymph is located. So you're losing that. And then you also compromise the second thing that moves your limp, which is breathing. 
And uh, remember I said, this is so simple. And people say, what kind of breathing? Well, you already know the answer. Yes, different types of breathing. But most importantly, what they call diaphragmatic breathing. Breathing from a muscle called your diaphragm that sits in the lower part of your rib cage that divides your lungs from your organs. That's why breathing is kind of like the big thing right now that you see. But when you breathe through the diaphragm in and out, you change pressure in the body. And pressures move fluid, folks. Pressures move fluid. So when you can breathe through the diaphragm, and I'm going to tell you the easiest way that you can do that without thinking is breathing in and out through your nose and not using your mouth, right? Because your mouth is for eating and talking. That's it, not for breathing. So when you use your nose, you increase more pressure in the abdomen called intra-abdominal pressure. And then what that does is that changes how the organs move up and down. And that's a pump. So when you breathe in, the organs push down to the ground and breathing in, I'm going to give you a little extra, stimulates your sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight one. Then when you exhale, the diaphragm lifts back up, the organs get pulled back up, and then you stimulate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. That's the relaxation one that you have. That's why long, slow exhales can decrease your stress response quite nicely and puts you into a more relaxed parasympathetic state, right? So if you combine movement with diaphragm breathing, you can really change how lymph moves significantly. It's just knowing that those two things are on the table, that they are options. Now. The lymph, uh, you have what's called lymph nodes in the body and lymph, people may, people may have heard of lymph nodes because sometimes yeah. they have to get removed, right? With, with yeah. cancer. I have a question on that in a second too. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to answer it now? Ask it now or do you want me to keep going? Maybe you can sprinkle it in with what you're, what you're going okay. with right now. But um, sometimes like people have a certain lymph node that always is inflamed or gets inflamed. So my question was, if you're doing movement and breathing, is that enough to help like a very localized stagnation? Great question. It's supposed to be. Be that way. But sometimes what happens is that uh, the system is so choked, blocked, obstructed, stagnated that those are no longer enough to move things. You have to get in there and you got to clean the tank and you got to get in there by hand. You got to move some stuff. So the easiest way to think about that is that the lymph nodes, you've got between 400 to 700 of them, depending on the resources that you read. The number is arbitrary. I just want you to know there's more than two. You follow? Those are many toilets, which means that all that stuff that we talked about before, bacteria, virus, toxins, stuff comes in there. And then that's like a barcode scanner in the supermarket where when you scan something across the laser, it tells the system what it is. Well, the immune system does that in the lymph node and it tells your immune system what's there and what it needs to send out to kill it. Right? So that's really important. And each node also kills those things when it's told what it is and 
every lymph node kills a little bit more. Node after node after node after node, because it's the whole system, not just one lymph node that works together. And so they barcode scan that, and then they read it, and then they want to try to kill it. And then those nodes are gathered in clusters, like a family, like a community. And here's a pretty cool thing about nature, that those lymph node clusters are located around the joints of the body that are supposed to move the most. Because nature knows that movement moves lymph. So where they're located in the areas that we don't move a lot because we sit a lot. One is the shoulder joint, right at the axilla. Another one is the crease of the groin at the hip joint. Another one is behind the knees, right? So when you sit all day, all those get closed off. A big one is in the abdomen. Most of your lymphatic system is located in your abdomen. Why? Because that's where 70 to 80% of your immune system lives. So if you have a gut problem, you have a lymph problem. If you have a lymph problem, you have a gut problem all the time, right? And then the other place is up in the neck, right? Yeah, that's where I one, get it. <laughs> one third, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mind blow you here a second. One third of the four to 700 lymph nodes in the body are from the neck up. Now, I want you to think about that from a common sense perspective. What does that tell you? Why would, it, why would the body put it there? It knows that the head and the neck is crucial to your health and your overall survival. Because what lives up there? Your brain. So it has to detoxify the brain and all of the nerves and arteries and veins that are around your face, head, and neck. Because if you choke off blood flow to and from your brain, that's not going to work out well. If you choke off waste draining from your brain, you're going to get brain fog and you're going to get a neurodegenerative disorder, a disease at some point. It's just a matter of when. Which all is increasingly more common. Yeah. So why is that that we're get, that's getting worse on people now? Is it because we know to look for it? Right. right? Yeah, we're Something, sitting around all day. Yeah. Tox, more toxins. So. Yeah, it, it's all of those things working together, and we're just disconnected from all the basics and the fundamentals, like, like dehydration. Yeah. If you are dehydrated, your lymphatic system is not going to work well because it's 90% water. Think about that for a minute. If something is 90% water and you don't have enough water in your system, <laughs> you're going to be full up of crap, like literal crap. And then your cells are like, you seriously, this is what you you're killing me here. This is all I got to work with. And then what you'll soon learn is that the human body will not allow you to put stuff in that it can't get out. Okay. Now, I need to clarify that for a second because people put stuff in all day long. Yep. But just because you put it in doesn't mean it's going into anything else, which oh, means yeah, yeah. it has Absorption. to go into the cells. If it doesn't get into the cells, it's useless. You understand? Uh, yeah. So in order to get into the cells, guess what? They can't be living in poop because it has to get through that water to the cell. 
It's got to get there. Then once it gets there, then the cell actually has to use it. It has to metabolize it. And in order to do that, it needs a lot of different things that most people don't have because they've been living in cellular poop for so long. Then let's just say some miracle it does use it. Well, what does it make? More waste. So you put waste on top of waste on top of waste. And then the body eventually says to itself, dude, I'm not letting anything else in because I got no way to get it out. And if you keep going that way, you're not going to turn out well. Like you can die, D-I-E. This means if your lymphatic system stopped working, you would be dead within two days. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens if it worked, but it's only working 50% at its best? Low quality life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the person who feels like crap all the time. How's all these things that everybody says is supposed to be normal because you're getting older? And then, first of all, anybody tells you that, you need to find a different doctor. Because it's, it's BS. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Right. And then we get so used to feeling like crap that we don't even realize that we feel like crap all the time. It's kind of I use this analogy a lot back to fish and water. It's like the fish who's been in water so long, they don't even know they're in water anymore. It's like, hey, how's that water going? What water are you talking about? Well, the one you're living in. Oh, you just get adapted to your environment. So you don't even remember or know how toxic it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like your work environment, your personal environment. Your cellular environment, all of the, your, your thinking environment, how you think about your self makes a huge difference. Yeah. I know you have a, this, this is a, a big concept and we are nearing the end of the recording, but I definitely want to um, keep recording a, a little bit longer because you're so sure. fascinating, but you have a concept called the big six. Yeah. And I think that is definitely worth mentioning at least why that is important. We don't necessarily have to go through and do the whole technique right now, but explain the the concept behind that and the importance of the order of operations with that as well. Sure. Yeah, it's called the big six method because we're going to go over the six primary places where those lymph node clusters are and where they get blocked. I've already gone over like five of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's really important that you do them in the right order. You have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, not six, five, four, three, two, one. If you mix up the order, you don't get the same results. Why? Because it's all based on how fluids move in the body and how fluids move in nature, which is from high pressure to low pressure. It's called hydrodynamics from physics. The easiest way to think about it is this. If I have a dam that's holding back water on one side, all the pressure's on one side, there's no pressure on the other side. So if I open up the doors of the dam, where does the water go? From high pressure automatically to low pressure. It's just how it works. It's not going to go the other way. Right. Well, in the lymphatic system, in the vein system, that's the way it works. The lowest pressure in the body for lymphatic flow and vein flow is the collarbone. So what does that mean for people that are listening? All the fluids in the veins and the lymph wants to go to your collarbone from everywhere else. But it's got to get there. And it's got a long way to get there. Yeah. So number one is always the collarbone above and below it. 
So you start there and you massage and you rub both sides all the time, above and below, many different ways, many different directions, many different pressures. There's no magical direction or magical pressure. It's all of them. And there's no magical time, right? Do what feels comfortable for you. Just rub there. Now, when you open that up, all the other pressure systems want to go there now because I just helped clear it up. That's blocked a lot when you have tightness or tension in the neck or you don't move your shoulders and you hit your head forward into the phone all the time and your traps are in your ears yeah. and all sorts of stuff and you're not yeah, breathing. Yeah, I have like the tightest neck ever. So yeah, it's ringing true. <laughs> exactly. So you got that. Now, number two is at the top of the neck on the side of the neck, right behind the angle of the jaw, right below your earlobe, right at the top. That's the largest lymph node in the neck on the left and the right. If that gets clogged, you're clogged in the brain, period. Right now, it's also where your vagus nerve drops out of your head to go down your neck. And the vagus nerve goes all the way down to your collarbone. So when you release spot number one, spot number two automatically wants to drain to spot number one. Now, when you work spot number two, you help everything else above spot two go to the brain. And here's the beautiful part. You just stimulated the top two points to help your vagus nerve at the same time. That's called check the wind box. That's what that is. Now, number three is the pectoral muscle as it attaches into the shoulder, right where your arm sits. So if you okay. massage around your pectoral slash axillary slash arm region, left side and right side. And then number four is the abdomen, the whole thing from the navel up to the bottom of the rib cage, putting your hands in there and massaging all along the center. Right. That's a huge place. Huge place. Number five is the crease of the groin on both sides. Right where you have the crease in your pants when you sit. And number six is behind the crease of the knee. So you massage those points in that order, both sides all the time. That's called the big six. Then you move. Then you breathe. Then you walk. Then you rebound. Then you jump up and down. Then you twist. Right. Big six always comes first because what you did there was you just released the lymph node clusters that are blocked, but you also just released the tension and tightness points in the major blood flow points to and from the body parts that need it. And That's you got very- the nerves that go along with it that. When those environments of poor blood flow, low oxygen, and toxicity around the cells from lymph, your nerves will hurt. You will have pain somewhere, somehow. Right? So in my world, low oxygen means pain somewhere in the body. And if you got low oxygen, that usually means you have the uh, fluid flow issue. Right? or you are a poor breather, or you are not hydrated. So you have to clear up those points and you do it every single day if you can, but you have to be prepared for this. I know I'm going to tell you before we run out of time is that when you do that, you're going to free up flow to and from stuff, free up crap that's been stuck there. You might get a little bit of a detoxification reaction, which means tiredness, fatigue, lethargy, increase in pain, increase in symptoms. You just feel horrific. Well, guess what? Better out than in. That's normal. That's what you want. Just don't do the big six again until you begin to feel a little bit better. Don't do it again if you're still feeling crap because you need time to recover. 
and make sure you're hydrating. Yeah, that was my next question is how often can you do it? But well, ideally, as long you as you feel good. Day. Okay. You should do it every single day, at least once a day. And before, before a workout is usually good if you're someone that works out every day? Or- yeah, that's a great question. So people ask me, uh, I'll come back to the workout one in a second. Okay. They say, should I do it in the morning or at night or during the day? There's no magical time frame. Um, it's what works best for you. Some people like it in the morning because that's easy when your lymphatics are the most stagnant because you haven't moved during the night. Mm-hmm. And one of the signs of a poor lymph system is really a lot of full body aches, pains, tightness, and stiffness when you wake up and it's a hard time moving because you just you're you're not lubed up. Um, and they like that. Some people like it at night because it primes you up for getting the fluids to. But some people it wakes them up and they can't sleep. Um, you should always do it before you work out because then you're increasing blood flow everywhere. And I always tell people what, when you work out and you exercise, you create inflammation on purpose and you destroy cells on purpose, which is what you want to do, which is a good thing. If, if you can make new cells and get rid of the inflammation that you make, Right. So I'm going to ask you a question again. What system does that? Well, it's the lymphatic system. So what you want to do is you can do the big six after you train to help you get rid of the waste you just made when you trained. So then you can go harder, faster, stronger, longer, hashtag beast mode monster (laughs) when you train because you help flow in and you help waste out so you can recover faster to do what you love. That's the secret little weapon there. And from a neuroscience perspective, Many people have poor awareness of their joints because they don't move them. So if you rub and you tap and you massage or you slap all those six places, guess what you're going to feel? Where you just rub, tap, slapped, and massaged, which means that you're going to feel those joints better so you move better, you move more efficiently, you have less of a chance of injury because you've increased what they call situational awareness in your body. And that prevents, helps prevent injury. They teach that in martial arts and in the military, situational awareness, be aware of your surroundings so you don't get DEAD, you understand? Mm -hmm. And they call it left of bang which means notice the bomb before you stand on it, go left of bang. So when you do the big six, there's your situational awareness. And then my opinion is your left of bang. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited to try it myself. There's a lot of stuff happening in those six places. A a lot lot of uh, benefits, you know, depending on what you're going through. But I did hear on a podcast that uh, that you were featured on a different podcast that there are secondary benefits like maybe losing some fluid weight or less mm. puffiness like that's never something that I like to push it's like oh do this just because you're gonna lose weight but hey if that's an added bonus of being less puffy and feeling a little like tighter and yeah. you know a little lighter um is that true that that yes. those are also benefits Absolutely. Well, I, I'll tell you why in a second, and I'll tell you my own personal story. I lost 30 pounds of swelling, inflammation, and body fat in one month. 
when I began to do this. And if you do wow. lymphatic work, you know, you typically will lose five pounds without even blinking an eye because you're getting rid of some of that under the swelling and inflammation and what they call edema, body fluids, right? But also two reasons. One is that if you hold on to inflammation, you get puffy, you get swollen. Well, that weighs stuff, that weighs, you know, so yeah, you yeah. can fluctuate. So when you clean out that tank, you'll be able to get rid of some of that inflammation. But when the body's really, really toxic and waste can't get out, it has to try to deal with the waste. It only has a couple of options when it can't get out. One, it swells the container that it's living in. So if there's a lot of waste around the cells and it can't get out, the body will try to dilute the waste. So you'll retain water. You won't absorb it, but you'll retain it. You understand? That's mm -hmm. the difference between the two. So you get water weight because it's trying to dilute the toxins so you don't get sick. And then another option is that it uses body fat because fat surrounds toxins and it it's an organ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what it'll do is that in order to preserve your life, it'll puffy you up and it'll make you fat because it has to pull the toxins away from the vital organs because if it hits there, you're going to be dead quicker. So then it'll just say, you know, I, I know that you don't really look that great or feel that great, but I don't care about that. I just got to make sure you're not dead tomorrow when you wake up. You understand? Yeah. So that's the main goal. And then here's the thing. When people go and they train and they exercise, they burn body fat, right? Well, when you burn body fat, guess what you release? More waste. So that's why people usually feel worse sometimes when they train or they, when they stop training, what happens? They get what? Fatter. Because then the body doubles down and swells you even more. So what happens is, what do you do first before you begin your weight loss journey? It starts Fat. with the number big, with the letters big, and it ends with six. <laughs> yep. Big six. Mm -hmm. Right? Because listen, I've been training this in bodybuilding. This needs to be like on, on uh, billboards. It needs to be shouted yeah. from the rooftops, which, you know, your Instagram has a massive following. So the word is getting out there. Yeah, it's really nice to see. And another reason the word gets out there is because when people do it, they feel better. And, you know, it works and they go, holy cow. I mean, he was right. I mean, this stuff looks so simple and effective things don't have to be complicated. And then it doesn't look like you're doing much. I mean, some people are like rubbing and slapping and tapping and they're like, come on. I mean, what, what can this actually do? It's just this BS. I just told you why it works. Like you just need to go back and understand physiology and you need to understand neurology and you need to understand what cells need in order to heal, recover and regenerate. And it's two things. It needs nutrients in and waste out, period. Yeah. And I just showed you how you can improve that supply chain right there. Now, it's not unicorns and rainbows is going to fix everything, but I'm going to contend this much until I'm dead that if those areas are blocked, you don't stand a chance. Middle don't stand a chance. Why not? And why not try it? All beneficial and great for the body. And it might seem weird at first or whatever, but that's just the conditioning our society has put into us to think, oh, it's weird to tap or whatever. Th thankfully, that, that it's getting more normalized to try different therapies and things like that. But yeah. the whole point is you try and then you see what happens. Forget what you look. It's not about 
what you look like when you're doing it or thinking, oh, this might not work. If you're thinking it might not work, then it's not going to work that well. You also need to have the mindset too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just, it's just a form of stimulus. Yeah. You know? And so I tell people, I don't really care what you do to the six places. Just do something to it. Like Mm -hmm. you can use gua sha on it. You know, you can use uh, just regular massage. You can use vibration massage guns, stuff like that. Uh, You just make sure you do it. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's all I'm going to tell you. Right. And then you're actually getting in the, what we talked about before variety, variation, and variability, the three V's that my friend, Joanne Elpenston says, you're just changing stuff up. Right. And it's going to change you because I know it's going to change you because it's just based on the physics of how fluids move. Yeah. I don't have to say, maybe it's going to make, make a difference. It's gonna, it just depends on how much. Right. So that's the first box we check off, you know, and in our world, we tell everyone lymphatics always come first, always. And then people say, why? And I'm going to say the same answer. It's not yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's this fish tank. Yeah. Fish tank. It's a great now. Do you want a crappy looking fish tank or do you want a nice one? Well, you should be giving me one answer. I want a nice one. Well, if you want a nice one, the only way you're going to get it is by working your lymphatic system. Well, this has been fantastic. And I definitely want already. I'm like, I want to get you back because they're you're so knowledgeable. And I know you have some other mojo courses out now and content out about the vagus nerve and the tongue and other cool areas. So maybe down the road, we can do another podcast. But in closing, do you have any final resources you want to share? in regard to the lymphatic system or otherwise just share where we find you. Yeah. Well, well, that's easy for sure. The best way to find me is uh, to go to my website, stopchasingpain.com. That's the central hub for everything that we have. We're kind of all over the place. So you'll see all of our social media platforms. Uh, I spend at this point might be considered an unhealthy amount of time on Instagram, but I digress. Uh, I also have my own podcast via the same name, Stop Chasing Pain, that's been on for 12 years. So I had one of the first podcasts out. 12 years. That's where we had a long time in the arena, man. And so I talked to a lot of smart people and learned from them as well. And uh, all of our mojo courses, we call them. We have quite a few that you can choose from on the website. Um, They're offered periodically throughout the year. And then we we do have uh, online courses and options and uh, membership sites that people can join. And the lymph is easy to do. We have a self-help video that's been out for several years now. So it's just gone ballistic viral around the world that people can get called Body Aquarium Lymphatic Mojo available on the website that you can do for yourself and you can own that um, for life as well. Yeah, I'll, so there's, link, there's, I'll link that in the show notes yeah, too. Yeah, there's a, a many different things that you can get from uh, from that. And then we also review the big six method in that program with the 
bonus video. Because there's many, I mean, we teach a two-day course on LIMP that's 16 hours. I mean, you're going to know more about LIMP than most anybody, the 1% of the 1% on this earth, if you end up taking that class. But yeah, there's something for everyone. And it's made, people say, I'm not a healthcare professional. Can I take your class? Absolutely. My class are designed for human beings that want to do self-care techniques, no longer suffering anymore, have a different way of thinking and do some very simple, simple and practical things on a daily basis to help themselves. That's what it, that's what it's all about. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share that information with people. I had a lot of fun today. Uh, I did. I did too. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome. 